you know what? George, I've been doing this now. Uh, I have my own business. This is like a little passion of mine. And I've been doing it with two other guys for like about eight months. We're, you know, we're getting excited. We're going to your point. And like, I'm the guy who usually does the recruiting for the interviews. And I talk to people and I just love it. It's like I get excited. And then when somebody else gets excited, like there's this time you call it marking out. Like I'm marking out. Like there's a part when enthusiasm to me is contagious. You know, it lights up the room. So I I appreciate your enthusiasm and your passion, man, and it motivates me. So thank you, sir. Well, I appreciate you got to tell fans, man, I go to wrestling to get away from the real world. <laughs> Damn right. You know, I've got it, 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 a lot of people's got this backwards. Yeah. And and, and I, I tell fans that all the time. You know, it'd be like, Dave, if you if you loved a magician, and I said, Dave, I'm going to take you to see your favorite magician, uh, magician, and we're on the way, and, and I start telling you how he's doing his tricks and, right. and how where the rabbit comes from. And eventually you're going to say, George, would you just shut up? <laughs> right. You know, that's what I tell wrestling fans. Yeah. They wanted to know for so long how we do our tricks, and then when they found out, they realized that was the stupidest thing they could ever want it. Absolutely. <laughs> and, I mean, I tell fans, don't tell me. Paul Jones and Wallumie Daniel used to be my favorite as a kid, Dave, and I got to know them as they got older. And I remember I used to take uh, number one Paul Jones to lunch. I mean, as he got older and retired. And, and we'd be sitting at the table and he'd say, George, he'd say, I want you to know that me and Ole Anderson are best friends. And I would honestly, at my age, I'd say, Paul, please shut up. <laughs> but he would do it. Dude, he would do it to get me mad. He'd yeah. say, oh, no, we used to beat the crap out of each other and then go have a beer together. <laughs> and literally, I, I didn't want to hear that. Right. I mean, ain't that silly? I would say, no, Paul, you hate Ole. You hate Ole hates you. <laughs> I mean. Paul, leave me alone. Let me do this. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm going to leave you there at this restaurant. Oh, if you don't shut up. But, <laughs> I, even, I, I don't ever want to lose that. Uh, to me, Wally McDaniel and Rick Flair will always hate each other. I mean, it, it will always be, you know, Ricky Stingler and Rick Flair will never be sitting at the same table signing autographs in my mind. Right. right. You know, be, because it's just, and I tell fans, quit trying to overthink all this and just, seriously, just eat a bag of popcorn and cheer the good guy and boo the bad guy. Hey, hey George, George, I'll share a story with you. I don't know if you ever heard this story. I thought it was great. Ricky Steamboat was doing some interview, and he told a story that he was feuding with Flair, and he saw Flair at a gas station, and there were a bunch of fans there. And he purposely went up to Rick, I guess. He said, hey, if you ever do that again tonight, I'm going to kill you right where you stand, I swear. And I guess Rick called him up. He's like, did we have heat? And he's like, nah, the fans are there. I just want to blow the show. I thought that was the greatest thing. I'm like, oh, I love it. I never heard that. I love that. Yeah, I thought, oh my gosh. Yeah, I think it might be on the WWE Network. One of those things. Oh. I saw it. And I thought, oh man, what a treat for those fans who were there. Well, Dave, do you know? Do you know before Ivan Koloff passed away that we did him and Bruno San Martini, where we were all at this down in Florida, some big wrestling reunion, and uh, Bruno was there. And Ivan has so much respect for Bruno, but Ivan called me over to his table. Mm. He said, would you take this picture and get Bruno to sign it? Mm. And I said, dang, Ivan. I said, they didn't need the people. They didn't need him over the doors yet. What do you mean? You know, I don't mind. But Ivan still would not break K-Fate, Dave. In other words, he said, no, no, I don't want people to see me. No, I don't want the boys to see me talking to Bruno. And I, I got goosebumps. Dave, uh, about that. Uh, as much as Ivan loves him, and of course later on in the green room they got to, you know, flag and all that, but, and, and, and I thought, man, that is just so neat that even at their age, Ivan still, you know, get the old fans to see him talking to Bruno. Yeah. And, I mean, I thought, man, that's like the, 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 you know, if you're trying to tell me right now how that wizard and the Wizard of Oz did his tricks, I'd hang up. Dave, <laughs> right, right. I tell people. <laughs> you know, uh, I, I want kids off from my grandbaby's swimming pool because they'll be trying to tell them there's no Santa. You know, I'm thinking, shut up and let my grandbabies be kids for a while. Sure. Yeah, so, absolutely. But just keep, you know, keep that enthusiasm, Dave. I mean, pro wrestling to me is the greatest, honestly, the greatest thing. And where else in the world can I, I got to meet my heroes. I got to know them. I've got, it, it's just unbelievable that, but you've got to keep that mystique about it. You really do. And what was it? What was it? What was it? About four years ago, Lucha Underground, somebody somebody had snuck the results for the upcoming season on the Internet. Mm. And, and all the fans were 
just dying to, to look at it. And I'm thinking, how stupid is a wrestling fan yeah. that would want to know a whole year's worth of results and then sit around and watch the results? Uh, that just doesn't make sense to no. me, buddy. You know... You know, it's funny, I remember back in the days when the Monday Night Wars, where they would be um, competing, and I love both companies, I love wrestling, but I would get mad when Eric Bischoff would give the results of Raw. I'm like, oh, I want to watch that later, Eric. Like, I know! I'm like, come on! <laughs> you sound just like me. I'm yeah. thinking, no, you're yeah, I don't. Gosh. I'm not a spoiler fan. You know, I mean, we no, learn things. No, no. Yeah. But hey, there's some fans that will... I swear they'll pay ten bucks to get the results on some website, and then they'll pay a hundred for for the pay per view. Right. I mean, you know, they already got the results, but they'll still buy the pay per view. That's all confusing <laughs> to me. I mean, wait, wait, you got this. I get you got this back. See, our job, and, and I'll end this. Our job is we. The reason I'm, I got hooked as a kid is I really thought that Wahoo needed me. In other words, when Ole and Gene was beating him up, I would go buy a ticket. And sit ringside because I just knew in my little mind that Wally was going to need me, you know, yeah. to, to win this match. And, and, and that's why I think if fans could, but right now, wrestlers just got to smarten up and realize, you know, the, the, our job ain't to go out there and act like we don't need the people. We do need the people. Mm. And, and I don't know if you could even get it back like that, but I'm sure going to try. But, uh, it's just, man, you know, we're not here to save the world. I'll say it again. We're just here to, to help those fans forget about the rough day that they've had, and then they'll come back next week. It's just that simple. Absolutely. So. All right, well, buddy, we're not hey, we save the world, including <laughs> you. I'm ready to do it, man. Thank you so much. <laughs> well, listen, thank you for your time, my friend, okay? You as well. Have a great day, George. You too, buddy. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Working Fans Podcast, cool. Yep. All right, here we go. Coming down three, two. Welcome back for another week of the Working Fans Podcast. This is AJ. I'm the former wrestler. We've got Dave, the ultimate fan, here with us. As we do every week, our producer Joe may, likes to make us sound good and makes us look way more professional than we actually are. As always, you can find us on Twitter, that's at FansWorking, Facebook, Working Fans Pod. We've got email where you can reach out to us and please contact us to let us know what you think of the podcast and for any ideas that you might have. That's WorkingFansWrestlingPod at gmail.com. We're on Instagram where you can keep up with us at WorkingFansWrestling underscore pod. And then you can now listen to us on all major platforms including Anchor.fm. We're on Google Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, Overcast, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, Apple Podcasts. And you can actually check us out on YouTube. Now it's important when you go onto the Apple Podcasts and YouTube, hit that subscribe button. Give us a rating. Let us know what you think so you can help us out. And we can continue to do what we love and bring you guys in as fans. You know, work with what you got. You know, they have the opportunity and the uh, platform and place and daily place to do that. I really liked what AEW did. Like, they surprised me with Double or Nothing because with these empty arena pay-per-views, you've been seeing WWE's version and then you're like, oh, can can AEW live up to this? And not only did they put like a good event together, but that first show after the event was pretty wild in itself, too. Yeah, definitely. The whole Mike Tyson thing, everyone keeps chiming in about it. Oh, they're just copying WWE from 20 years ago. I think, if anything, they're really capitalizing on Mike Tyson himself now because he's a... Uh, rumored or confirmed whatever you want to call it to come back to boxing and for him to be in the news lately and for them to get him on their television show i think it's a pretty big deal to be honest yeah that was very timely because right before they had him on they had those videos of him killing it in the gym showing that he still had the chops punch wise and then i believe right after that mlw had said something about wanting to get mike tyson in with them and then it was right after MLW had said that, that AEW had him confirmed for double or nothing. Yeah. I think it's all funny, too, because 
what I heard was he did a radio interview not too long ago. A very, how do I say this? It was very emotional for him. And he even said that, you know, I don't want to go back to boxing. That version of me, I don't like because of what it did to me as a person and the demons he dealt with. And then all of a sudden there's videos of him training and saying he's back. And I heard something like a promoter dangle, dangle like $20 million in front of his face to come back and fight. And he's like, all right, tell me when and where I'll start training. Wow. I mean, hell, it would be cool to see Tyson come back and fight. I mean, if he doesn't want to, he shouldn't have to. But it's cool to see him making appearances, at least with pro wrestling. Yeah, I don't. I really don't think he has anything left to prove. He's uh, definitely a huge pop culture figure with all the different TV shows and movies he's been in. And, you know, obviously, you know, the AEW appearances. But I don't think he really has anything left to prove in boxing. If anything, I think he'll just hurt his reputation. Yeah, it will put something on his legacy because it'll be like almost that comeback where what if he doesn't do as good as he and everybody else thinks that he might? And then you're looking at Tyson as, oh, God, he doesn't have it anymore. Right now, like you said, pop culture icon, podcast, does TV shows, has a ton going on. It's almost like why would you want to step back in the ring and put yourself through that? Yeah, exactly, too. And if he comes back, is it going to be like a gimmick belt? like an old opponent or you know another boxing hall of famer or is he gonna face some young guy you know you don't know like yeah will we get a dream match and up and comer or will we get just him and like another kind of maybe retiree doing some kind of bout yeah i heard it was um i mean it's another rumor but i heard it was gonna be a maybe a holy field rematch or something but i don't know how that would go that would that would draw big money, but I can't imagine the bout would be anything uh, to be really uh, excited for once it's over with. Yeah, I was thinking that with that kind of name, it's like, oh, wow, that would definitely sell tickets. But, yeah, what kind of quality about are you going to get? Yeah, if anything, it'd be for pay-per-view buys. Now, how excited are you about FTR finally landing in AEW? Oh, I'm actually really excited. I don't know if you caught their interview with Jim Cornette on Friday. Oh, I, d- I did. I was just about to ask you about that because I was surprised to find out that they are not signed to AEW yet, supposedly. Yeah, supposedly. So the uh, few things they've done already must have just been cash in hand or, you know, the check will be in the mail. But I'm really excited for it because the whole Internet Young Bucks rivalry they've had for years it's come to fruition, and I'm just really excited to see those two teams in the ring. But the part that's really getting me is at the end of the interview, they were talking about the rivalry, and I couldn't really tell what they were leading on that was kayfabe or what's really a shoot there. I mean, I know they don't want to give away what's going to happen on the TV show or future pay-per-views, but, you know, in this day and age with the Internet and how smart fans are now to the business, I honestly couldn't tell what exactly they were saying is real and what isn't, you know? Which I, I kind of I kind of like that mystery, you know? I, it brings me back to being a kid again, but yeah. at the same time, I don't think they're going to go into business for themselves in the ring and completely beat the shit out of the buck. No, but I know exactly what you mean because they brought up how maybe there weren't necessarily hurt feelings over the whole rivalry, but that maybe it wasn't necessarily as coordinated as everybody would have believed. And it's almost like it sounds like they will get into the ring with the Bucks like eventually, but it's not like they're going there just to put them over. You know, yeah, they like, almost made it sound like, well, we'll just have to see what happens when we get in the ring. Yeah, I feel like there will definitely be some sort of potatoes and receipts going on. Oh, yeah, but I cannot wait till that match happens. Do you know who they're wrestling this week? Um, I believe the Butcher and the Baker. Yeah. <laughs> I'm very excited for that match. Just to see them in the ring for the first time. But they're taking on uh, one of the more interesting tag teams, I think, in AEW. Even though I yeah, feel I- like they've been slightly underused. I caught the run-in. They did on that Shivani talking point they had, um, FTR had with Shivani. And I was like, oh, wow, these are the, these guys' first opponents. This should be good. 
because I feel like the Butcher and the Blades, they definitely have a sense of Southern wrestling and, you know, old school tag team to themselves, you know, with the look and their style. So I feel like I don't really feel like it'd be a style clashing sort of match. I feel like they'd complement each other. Oh, 100%. And I especially like how FTR feels about the tag team division as a whole. Like, just how they were talking about in WWE, how they didn't care necessarily about the belts. They wanted the whole division to be over. And if they're coming into AEW with that kind of mindset, and what we've been led to believe about the Bucks wanting tag team wrestling to make a comeback... I think it's an exciting pairing, and I <clears throat> I hope they continue going forward. What I'm hoping, with that being said from you, those two teams, the Bucks and FDR, I hope that they can work together, maybe creatively, to get the whole division to a certain extent, and then they can face each other to make it even better. Oh, yeah, like build it up for like all out next year. And just have this yeah. whole year of them making tag team after tag team after tag team. Like, they've got plenty of them in there. And i that's a division I would like to see pop off. I think it's been all right. But I had higher hopes for, like, Hybrid 2, Private Party. And yeah, I, I feel think like... that Private Party has been a little underwhelming since their, uh, their pay-per-view matches that they've had. Yeah. It seems like that tag tournament was the last biggest thing they did was that went off off of the Bucks. And now it's been AEW Dark. They've been popping up here and there. Uh, Mark Quinn's going for the TNT title this week. Yeah, that should be a good match with Cody. He's, he's the better one of the team, so that should be a good match. Yeah, and I'm excited that Cody is also going to be making that open challenge going forward. That's going to keep a good amount of uh, opponents coming in. And it was like the Cena Open Challenge where you could potentially make somebody different each week. Yeah. I feel like that's definitely the route they're going with that one. All right, everybody. It's the Working Fans Podcast with the man they call Dave. And today we got a special guest on. The guy's uh, been wrestling uh, since 1999, in fact. Been all over the place on a show called MTV True Life. I'm going to be a pro wrestler, and he's uh, competing with a lot of the all-time greats, Mr. Rapid Delivery, Rory Fox. Rory, how are you, sir? I'm doing great. How are you, Dave? I'm great, Rory. Thank you. Now, you started in 1999 that you were trained by Les Thatcher? That is correct. And how was it uh, breaking the business with Les and that overall experience? Well, one thing is, you know, I had these lifelong aspirations of being a professional wrestler. When I started training, there was WWF, there was WCW, and ECW. So, no more options when I started. It, it, it's almost like now, you know, there's so many options now, but just like uh, back then. But uh, anyway, when I started, it was, it was a little different than when uh, I started to finish things up 10 years later. Uh, but yeah, back in... Uh, yeah, I, I went there in 1998, or the summer of 98, and I, I, re- I did my research with Les Thatcher, I, I checked with other places, the ECW school, uh, they would never uh, return my call, I, I, uh, I left messages at the Kowalski school, but Les Thatcher, um, he took the time to talk to me on the phone, he probably talked to me for maybe 20 minutes, he encouraged me and my dad to come out for a visit, so... I, uh, we drove almost, I don't know, it was eight hours out to Cincinnati to visit with Les, and he just, uh, he was just such a charming person, and I thought about it, like, look, he's a smaller guy like me, especially in 99, uh, you know, a guy five foot eight, it, it, it's a real, uh, uphill battle in professional wrestling, and I looked at it, and it was like, this guy had wrestled for 20 years, and then he went into the announcing booth and, uh, did interviews, so it's like, this guy has got to be good. Uh, so I just had a good feeling, and I, I picked up everything and went from uh, Watkins, Iowa, population 100, to Cincinnati, Ohio. And every day I learned something with Les. He, he was there hands-on, hand-on with us. He was very tough. He had a lot of expectations. Very, very intelligent. Very personable. 
That's awesome. I, I, yeah, I've only heard good things about Les. And he trained uh, you uh, as a wrestler, but he was an announcer as well and did other things. Did you ever get trained to do other things as well, whether it was manager, announcing, and had you had the opportunity to do some of that stuff? Well, with Les, this was the best way to do it, and all of his students went through this. Uh, like Shark Boy, uh, Cody Hawk, Dean Ambrose, John Moxley, uh, you know, and uh, Eli Drake, and others. All Nigel McGinnis, BJ Whitmer, we all, we, when we had our training, but until we had our first match, you would be a referee. So that way, you're inside the ring with uh, wrestlers with much more experience. And, and, and you got to listen in and then call them the spots, just how they put a match together. That was one advantage. Wrestling got you somewhat comfortable in the ring. And the great thing about Les is he had connections with Jim Cornette, and Les goes back to smoking on wrestling. So you could be in the ring refereeing a match between Tracy Smothers and Ricky Morton. I mean, it just, it was such a, it was such a, a genius way to start out. Refereeing is the best way is the best way to do it before you actually become a professional wrestler. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense too because any kind of job, you almost want to get, especially with something like that, you want to get comfortable with your surroundings. And you, you being a referee, you're getting the in and out of the ring a little more. The better than just be jumped in there cold. And the other motivation was, is once you started refereeing, it's like you wanted to be a wrestler so bad after that because you're in the ring, you're hearing the crowd, you're watching the wrestlers manipulate the crowd to get the desired reaction they're looking for. You know, the baby face trying to get the crowd behind them, the heel trying to get everyone in the crowd upset and cursing. And then this was the same with Les as well. If you were working hard on looking like a professional wrestler, you're going to stay a referee a long time. That's the thing with Les. He'll keep you around forever. You can keep training, but, you know... If you, if you don't dedicate yourself to the gym, you're just going to stay a referee because he believed not only should you be a good wrestler, you should look like a professional wrestler. <laughs> and, and the other little talk we had was Liz would not uh, let you wrestle until you had a pair of wrestling boots. And how Liz would be you back in the day in, in uh, training, like say the four to six months, Back then, you probably had to train for six months before you got a match. And here's what we would do, and I learned from other guys, maybe about six months into your training, you make that commitment to get your custom-made professional wrestling boots, and it just put a different light on you. It's like, Les sees this young person, like, okay, they are serious about this. They made the commitment and bought a stagecoach wrestling or whatever, you know, wrestling boots. That was a big step. Les really... We notice you, and it would get you that much closer to having your first match. I've been talking wrestling lately is uh, like getting your game face up. Like you know, like you hear people say, there's a difference between uh, playing wrestle and a pro wrestle, and getting in that zone before the ring. But one thing I've been thinking about lately, you've been a heel and a baby face. Different getting yourself ready for a match, being a heel or face. Is there a different way of pumping yourself up, or is the process kind of similar? No matter what, you're going out there to perform and kick some ass. The preparation is about the same because whether I'm the baby face or a heel, either I, I I have just one level of energy. It's the same level of energy each way. The heel. As soon as I go through that curtain, I'm not going to shut my mouth. I'm going to talk trash all the way to the ring. Let everyone know that I'm the best and you're lucky to see me. And I want, I want everyone to hate me before the, the bell even rings. Now, when I'm the baby face, it's the same thing. I'm coming out a big ball of fire. I won't shut up. I'm so fired up. I'm ready to be out there and make all you wrestling fans happy and put on a great show. The energy level's the same, it's just the, the, the manner that I'm going to do it that night. But yeah, the preparation's the same, warming up, warming yourself up, getting ready for a match. Uh, that part's so okay. Anyway. You know what's interesting is like, uh, you know, like right now we have a lot of uh, empty arena matches. And yeah. having, I can tell your voice too, you haven't really enjoyed them. And the thing is... I was thinking about, a lot of it was like when I was younger, like, okay, well, you know, I view things differently as a fan now. I enjoy rotation more. And rotation is missed. But like, I was thinking about this a little further, and I was curious your opinion on it. When you're at an indie 20 people there, you're playing 
to those fans. And those fan in attendance are going to have a good time because you're getting them in the show. But when you're in an empty arena and it's a TV product and you're watching at home, it's just none of that. It's just very sterile and it's just, okay, what can we do here? Yeah, if, if I'm one of the wrestlers that I'm being employed and, and being paid by WWE or Impact Wrestling or whatever, that would make it a lot easier. But on an independent show, yeah, it, it's, you know, Some of the forefathers there. That's good. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's, I guess it's now you say it was that type of custom wrestling, but we didn't know that. We just knew we paid a lot of money. We were in our wrestling gear and we just put on matches like we were training school. <laughs> now, I want to ask you now. One of the things uh, everybody's kind of on this, but it's for a lot of wrestlers. One of the tougher aspects. Is, what would you say was the tougher part of? For you to adjust to things, was it cutting a promo, working up a sauna? What was the toughest thing for you? I think you know, the, the promo wasn't that bad because I've been, you know, I've been watching wrestling since I was five years old. So there was already certain wrestlers I emulated. So he had kind of a cadence uh, how you spoke. It's just working on what you're going to say. Um, my the hardest part was for me is get, uh, you know pro wrestling wears when they, they, they try to remember the whole match in the back. That's what, that's what I really struggled with, the whole selling the whole match in the back, and I'd get out there, and I'd get a couple minutes in, and I'd totally, totally forget where we were going in this match. <laughs> back in the day, I would have what they'd call a brain fart. It's like, we put the, when we're really green, we have to put our whole matches together. We don't, we, we can't really call it, calling a match was, it was really difficult, but, uh, I would get out there and I'd have these what we call brain changes or brain farts. And I'd be like, oh, God, I have no idea where I'm at. And as I became more comfortable, I focused more on my selling and the presentation and having step-by-step what move is next. And uh, so, if that, that answer your question, I kind of read a bit about that. I have a business. I sell bread. And for a while, like, I would have trouble remembering, like, when I started, like, what store sold what and everything. But, we had so many different items to sell, but like after a while, I started to concentrate on my core items, the top sellers, and I realized yeah. they started working out better. A little bit. So I get that; that makes a lot of sense. When I learned it was all, when I learned it was more about bullet points, I had a lot more success. Just have an outline of where you're going, have your finish, then have a few little things that you want to make sure you do in the match. But otherwise, just go with the flow, see what the crowd's buying, and work on your. Just your selling is so important because if they believe in what you're doing, uh, you'll have them. But that going out there trying to remember a match, and the crowd sees your facials. Like Les used to say this all the time. It's all about the facials. If you're out there trying to remember what's next, you're not selling that guy punching in the stomach properly, or uh, just all the all the little nuances. Just yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I heard one of the best things with selling, too, I think, I don't know if it was, I heard it with Ricky Morton or Ricky Steamboat, maybe both of them, but they would try, yeah. like, if they were getting beat down to, like, almost make eye contact with members of the audience, you know, like, reaching out, and I was like, oh, that makes so much sense when I look back, like, the passion and everything in that ring, you feel like you're a part of it, almost. Yes, I, and I am, when I am a baby face, I have stolen some of that, the whole, Ricky Morton said, he'd be almost pretty much looking at someone in the crowd and saying, oh, me. Mm. And you make that eye contact with them like 
you know, if that fan cheering for you right now, you kind of give them that look like, you know what, you are making a difference. Keep yelling for me, and we're going to climb this hill. Yeah. Uh, and that's a, that's a thing. <clears throat> Little did I know, um, I think it's, it's December of 2018, I actually got to wrestle Ricky Morton in Des Moines for 3X Wrestling. That's amazing. Ricky's still going. It's funny. I had him on the pod once and we were talking like, so this was last year, 2019. I said, I saw him wrestle twice live and I never thought it would be in 2019. I saw him at an independent show and a New Japan show that came in Northeast. I watched Ricky in the 80s like most people and I'm thinking like, no way I thought I'd be watching him wrestle live in 2019, but there he was. (laughs) Yeah, it's just the fact that so many of these legends are still around and they still know what to do out there to get a reaction. They get memorable to the fans. Me and my buddy were, my buddy just, we joke quite a bit about the wrestling because we, we, we've gone to shows together for like the last 25 years. And this, I don't know, AWE wrestling historian, he pops up on Instagram stories every day this day in history. And uh, me and my buddy Jerm, we went to WCW's uh, Great American Bash in the Quad Cities in uh, 1998. And Here's, here's a match with Glacier, and it's like, you know, I just, I was just a kid then, and he's just like, did, did you ever think you were going to have a match in, uh, uh, when was 2019? Did you ever think in 2019 you'd be in a tag team match team with Glacier? Like, how crazy? That's fine. I was going to ask you that. I was curious because, like, you had done some enhancement work in WWE, and I was kind of curious, like, what's it like going to do enhancement work in the sense that, you know, you're there to do a job, but sometimes you don't work with guys like Haku and stuff like that, who you probably saw when you were younger. Like, I got to have super exciting at the same time. Working Fans Podcast, welcome back for another week of the 531, where we take a top five list on a particular subject, debate it down to a top three, and then Zach, you've been heard, it's not a top one, it's the number one spot, the king of the hill, the bull of the woods, mm-hmm. this week it is the top five horsemen that are not Ric Flair, and to be fair to Randy... I did shit on this list because this is almost as bad as the triple threat matches list to me. Only because you're basically leaving out the one or two horsemen you didn't care for. This was not Randy's list. This was not Randy's list. This is Dave's list. So, Dave, I'm looking you in the eyes. We're on FaceTime. I am sorry. (laughs) I said. (laughs) Oh, it's Jake's list? Jake. uh, Well, wait a minute. Jake gave me a horse. Okay. Yeah. You know what? This one particularly was mine. Jake spawned off the other horse and this will be doing. My bad. I eat this one. Uh, well, either way, I apologize. Mike right. Flynn brought us the first list, and I think it. I think the power of these lists is really going to come from the discussion because he had Tully, Arn, mm-hmm. Malenko, Oli, and then he picked Pillman over Wyndham. Yeah. Solid list. It's a solid list, man. And yeah, you're right. We're going to hear a lot of the same names. Over and over again with this list. What kind of work are we doing? I don't think we're going to hear a lot of Oli. What do you think would push somebody to put Oli on their list versus someone else? If you like the original, if you like the old school. I will say this, though. Names that I haven't seen a lot of these lists. I'm only, I know Randy's list. Uh, I know mine. I might know AJ. We'll see if we get towards the end. But names are not going to probably stay on this list. I'm just going to guess. Mongo McMichael. Paul Roma. Maybe we will. No offense to anyone who picked those. I'm just guessing those are two guys that we're not going to see on the list. No, those are 100%. I actually got that Horseman book that by Dick Bourne. You've probably heard a couple people talk about it. Corny's definitely mentioned about it. And it's almost yeah. like a timeline of the Horseman. Very good read. I don't see a lot of those later picks. And even... Like, Oli, I'm surprised about. I don't have him on my list, though he should be, because when it comes to horsemen, like, I'm a traditionalist. I like the original four. I can mm-hmm. get into Benoit. I can... Barry Wyndham is a perfectly acceptable horseman to me, too. Yeah. Uh, the original is my second favorite. Uh, honestly, I don't have an argument that there are people's favorite. 
but my personal favorite is the Flair Foley Iron Barry. I think Barry was a big difference maker, and Barry was just so good, and he was a good horseman that I just give him that not to bust. I don't think they ever got better after that group. Those are the original two. I believe uh, Barry come before or after Luther. I don't remember that timeline right now, but. I haven't read the book in a while, but I feel oh. like Barry would be before. No, it was after. He turned on Luger in a tag match. Okay. Yeah. Oh, wow. So That's where the claw came in. Think of your recent wrestling history where uh, Sean Spears was given that black love by Tully Blanchard in the limbo. <laughs> True. The claw, very Wyndham. <laughs> so any, fa- any fans that are horsemen... Any fans of ours that are fans of the Horsemen that have not read that Dick Bourne book, go on Amazon, pick it up. Four Horsemen, amazing book. Speaking of books, Jake's an author, and he brought us a list. He's got Arn, Harry Wyndham, Brian Pillman, Tully, and Dean Malenko. Good, good list. I was almost going to say I wonder if Malenko's going to make a lot of people's list. Because Malenko's a great wrestler, but I don't know if people necessarily think of him as a horseman all the time. No, he would have been one of the better horsemen, but he's he kind of almost falls into that early group of people you might not assume would be in there. I now, think this guy just abandoned too quickly, too. Yeah. Now, Randy brought us a list, and I'll be damned if a Blanchard isn't number one, but That's instead good. of Tessa, it's Tully. We got Barry Wyndham number two, Arn Anderson number three, Brian Pillman number four, Lex Luger number five. I'm not a big Luger person, but Mm -hmm. why don't you sell me on a reason that Luger should be considered one of the better horsemen? I will. I feel like I might have done this before. (laughs) It might have just happened, and I don't remember it, but give it another shot. I think we were. We might might be in a lost episode somewhere. But anyway, yeah, I'll tell you on this a little bit because I'm not the biggest Luger fan either. But Luger's best run in ring wise was probably as a horseman. He just fit that group too. He dressed with the suit and everything, and they did a good job of protecting him. Like that and Luger's U.S. title run after this, where he uh, basically won it from like Stan Hansen, I think, his last time, and he was defended against people like Michael Hayes, and those were like his two best runs, I think, in his career. Not counting, he obviously won the world title later, but if you look at the Luger that won the WWE world title, I don't think he was good in the ring. That was always after his accident, and one where he allegedly might have been taking a lot of steroids, but I see the little slower in the ring. And I just feel like this is one of his best runs, Luger as a horseman. So. Wow, I would think one of his best runs was when he did that thing with Yokozuna. To me, that feels like the biggest right. thing he did. Well, I will say from a uh, character standpoint, you might be honest with there, I don't think it was necessarily his best run in the ring. But uh, I will never forget that cheesy little, I'll be your hero. It was the most character he showed, and it's hilarious that he hated doing it. I know, I know. He didn't want to go around taking it. You ever hear of Steve Austin when he was uh, first starting to Stone Cold gimmick a little bit, right before 316, maybe a little round, was around that time period? He was, like, telling Vince on commentary on Raw. Like, Vince was still doing commentary. He's like, you guys do some stupid things here. He's like, every one time you had some guy come around and, Get babies and shake hands and go out on a bus and celebrate. Like, why did me get off a bus and just whip everybody in ass? That would be stupid. I thought, you know, that's a great idea. <laughs> that would have been a lot more entertaining. Now, yeah, Zach right. brought us a list. He's got Arn, Tully, Benoit, Pillman, and JJ Dillon. You know, JJ is kind of the one under your nose, right? Because he wasn't the competitor, but he was ultimately just such a big part of the horse. He was in that War Games match and got his shoulder separated, so he has been in ring with him. He was a okay. he was a big part of the presentation, so I almost consider him as much of a horseman as anybody. And I'll say this: segue back to we're talking about Luger being a horseman. Luger and the horseman came at a bunkhouse stampede battle royal. It was down to Luger, Foley, Iron, and JJ who was actually in there. And JJ said, guys, I can't believe I'm down here. I never thought I was going to win. And you know, I just want this one for me. Because they said, they're all going to win it together. And they said, we can't win together. And it, Iron's like, all right, let's do it for JJ. Mm-hmm. And Iron left and Tony left. And Lex is sitting there. And Iron's like, Lex, you hard to hear us? We're doing this for JJ. And he's like, I'm an athlete. I'll do what's best. Don't worry. And then he throws JJ out. 
Jeez. So it's Scott simple. brought us a list next. He has Arn, Tully, Barry Windham. He also has J.J. Dillon and Brian Pillman. Did he mention Mr. Perfect at all? I don't know, because he had told me before that it's perfect. Oh, this is on, on, on a future list. Scott had told me that Mr. Perfect would have been a great horseman because he didn't count his time. Because there was like that brief time perfect was second horseman. Right. I, I mean, he would, <laughs> he would almost fit in the same list here, but yeah. moving on, Chris Zaha from Rockin' Randy's Rockin' Wrestling Group had Arn, Tully, Barry, Oli, and Lex. Another Watch solid. More names. Yeah. Shard Johnson from Rockin' Randy's Rockin' Wrestling Group had Arn, Oli, Tully, Barry Windham, and Chris Benoit. Benoit and Pillman are getting a couple votes in here. Oh, Pillman's I, actually been on every list so far. I'm a fucking idiot. Almost every list. Here's the thing. Pillman and Benoit, like that, I really wanted that horseman group to succeed. They didn't really pull the trigger on them enough. Like I thought they were so great having Flair and Iron as kind of senior members, and then Pillman as a Benoit, as like the guys coming up. Really thought they looked great as a unit together. Would have liked to have seen that more. That's the horseman unit I have like the most hopes for. Like after my favorite one, I'd put that as number two because I just wanted it to work. I want to like them, but it's kind of yeah. Rough. It, they just didn't. They didn't pull the trigger and go them all the way. But I mean, if you look, Hillman's personality really starts to shine in that group, and that's where the loose cannon stuff started. Yeah, Benji Fido from Rock and Randy's Rock and Wrestling Group had Arn, Tully, Barry Windham, Oli, and Lex. Very similar to one of the lists I feel like I've read. That's why all these lists are tough because you're na- you're reading like the same four or five names over and over. Brian Huff, also from Rock and Randy's Rock and Wrestling Group, had Arn, Tully, Oli, Barry Windham, and Chris Benoit. I'll give you my list next because I had J.J. Dillon, Arn Anderson, Tully, Barry Windham, and I finished off with Benoit. Okay. Now, did we read, uh, forgive me here, I just want to double check before I go into mine, Jake and Mike Flynn? Jake and Mike Flynn, we did. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Just making sure here. So, you want to do your list first or AJ's list? Oh, let's do AJ's. The part of AJ will be played by the man they call me today. All right, everybody, my favorite list is... I'm just kidding, I'm not going to do that to him. I I would say he would have picked the original Four Horsemen. I don't think he... uh, I can't remember if he got it in me in time. But he would either go with the original Four Horsemen or he would have substituted Oli for Barry. Other than that, like those are like his guys. All right. So, so the original Four Horsemen is Rick Flair, Oli Blanchard, Iron Anderson, Oli Anderson, for those who don't. So would you put in J.J. Dillon including that four? Because you got Oli, Arn, Tully. I'm going to put in Barry Windham because you mentioned him. And then I'm going to say as much as A.J. liked J.J. Dillon, he would better have the wrestler in there. So I'm going to say AJ would. He could tear me apart from this later. I'm sorry, man. It got lost. I was trying to do the best I can at the short notice. But I would say AJ wants the original four horsemen in there. But fuck it. Take out Oli and put in Barry. So he would want. Oh, wait. You so still. You st- we already have that. So you need a fifth. Right. So yeah, Barry, uh, Oli, Iron, Foley. Oh, yeah. JJ. That would be a horseman. I know it would be. There we go. Makes sense. And Dave, mm-hmm. you've kept us in suspense up until this point. Guys, Randy might get it wrong once in a while, but you know what? Tully Blanchard is one of the greatest four horsemen of all time. He's part of the original. Damn it all. What a great competitor. Slamboree 94. I think I've mentioned it before in this podcast. Him against Terry Funk. They have a lot of these legends at WCW Slamboree, and they're having these matches that just aren't very good, but Terry Funk and Tully Blanchard tear that shit up, all right? Then, just look at recently, on a couple of weeks ago of AEW, where he cuts a heck of a promo on Sean Spears, saying that, what's your legacy going to be? It's going to be me on the front of your site? He's like, that's not my legacy. I don't want that. You know, he's just, Tully's absolutely the man. Now, that being said, you can't have a four horseman without Iron Anderson. You know, it's like if we're not including Rick Flair, you got to include Iron Anderson. All right, one of the all-time best. Now, 
after that, this is where we go with the personal favorite who I like. Barry Windham. Absolutely, like I said before, he would be on my favorite group of horsemen. And beyond that, Brian Tillman, like we talked about, I think that was where his career was really starting to take off. He made a great horseman. And a guy I didn't hear a lot on this list, but I thought, honestly, he made a great horseman. He made a great impact. Psycho Sid. Psycho Sid. Wow, that's a deep cut. This, this is there. I think would Now, I mean, him and Iron might not have been the best stable mate later on. But at the time, I thought he made a good horseman. Now, looking at these lists, Tully and Arn are clear winners. Mm. Who do we move on to that third spot? By the way, you know who didn't make anybody's list? Sig. Sig was temporary, actually a four horseman member temporary for a little while. He was part of the baby face horseman. Wow. Yeah. Actually, yeah. let's quick sidebar before we move on to deciding the top three. Did you watch the newest MLW anthology this week where they highlighted the Extreme oh, Horsemen? I started to. I, did, I got to the War Games match this weekend. And that, I've been going through old MLW, and that is one of the earliest ruling factions with Steve Carino, C.W. Anderson, and Simon Diamond at its start. They later mm-hmm. add Barry Windham, Barry fucking right. Windham, and Just Incredible. Oh, yeah, yeah. And just awesome. But another sidebar, further sidebar, actually. Have you heard the talk of the possible four horsemen in AEW and what they might be hinting to? I I saw a picture of FDR, Sean Spears, and I'm blanking out on the other guy. Cody. Cody. And I I saw that, and I was like... Iron would be, like, the advisor. I want to say Tully and Arn would be behind it, and I saw that graphic, and I'm like, I so hope that fucking happens. That would be, yeah. that would light the wrestling world on fire. I think. Oh yeah, Don't Cody matter. as a heel, and as a heel, we could overlook that rule that he was never going to get a world title shot. Because yeah. a heel would find a way around that, and then a heel. Look, man, I love Cody's work as a babyface. I feel like they jumped the gun for that uh, blood and guts match. Like, now that you got the FTR in there, how do you not sign them? How do you not put them in the blood and guts? Yeah. We'll see what happens now. I mean, the whole world thing. Uh, hopefully, when they get fans back, that's when they want them to do the blood and guts match. And yeah, how do you not put FTR in there now, right? So, t- uh, so we need to figure out a third member of the 5 2 one We got Iron and Foley. Yep. Barry Windham uh, made a lot of lists. Brian Pillman made a few. Benoit, Oli, JJ. It's, I thought like I heard Barry Pillman and Oli mostly on this list. Yeah, I love me some Pillman, but I feel like when you talk about the Horsemen, you're looking at Oli and Barry as far as the discussion goes. Yeah, Oli and, and Barry. yeah, I I'm a Barry guy. Barry had the better career. Uh, maybe he wasn't a little, but he was just as good as a Horseman and the tiebreaker to me is Barry would go on to be just one of the best damn wrestlers in the world. Absolutely smooth in the ring. And a crime, even though he did technically, I believe, hold the NWA world title when it was like two belts, like they had the WCW world title and the NWA world title, which the NWA was withdrawal, and it became the international belt, I want to say. But it's a crime that Barry wasn't like the guy in that promotion because he was just so good. Very much. So now we're down to Tully, Arn, and Barry Windham. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's a question who gets bounced right now because... I'm well, I mean, the argument would be right. We always argue to get this third guy in, and then we bounce them. But there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's some debate here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to argue a little bit here. Because let's look at these guys individually first. Career-wise, to me, Barry... Had the bigger career. Around. But he had a healthy career. He had the end of the world title. He was the U.S. champion. He main evented. There's a class of champions. Go back and watch it. I was checking out the other day. It was Barry Windham and Ric Flair versus the Midnight Express, where Ric Flair was the world champ, and I think Barry had the U.S. belt, and they were going after the Midnight Express. Oh, no, I think Midnight Express had just lost the belt, so Barry and Rick got the win. But anyway, it was an outstanding match. Iron Anderson is basically, to me, the guy who personified and made the TV championship back then, and also one of the greatest tag team wrestlers of all time. Tully was just, 
man, he's still just so good to me and so underrated. And what about that I quit match you have with Nagin PA? Still one of the best of all time. It's this big. really like, like when you talk about Ric Flair's demand, you know, the horsemen, to me, these three are the guys, like right after that. Yep. The first person uh, I know that we can't bounce is Arn because he was the enforcer in the horsemen. So besides Flair, he always had like that spot. So what what would Tully's spot have been besides being yeah. Arn's partner? Yeah, I, I would agree with you. I, I'm going to bounce Tully. I'm going to say that Barry had, even though, I mean, it's tough to say, right? Who was the best horseman? Tully was involved in the original and then this one as well, the one with Barry. So you could argue that, that he was the better horseman. I'd say Barry had the better career, but, uh, man, no, Barry just meant to me just as much as a horseman. I'm going to say Barry. I feel like that Arn and Tully, Arn had a spot as the enforcer, but their careers were kind of married in the horsemen because they were the horsemen. They were the brain busters. They were always a team. I mean, Tully did some stuff outside of the team, but I would argue oh. Arn was maybe more of the successful singles. No, I would do that a little bit because Tully, besides being a TV champion, he also had the United States championship at different times in City with Dusty Rhodes. But here's the thing, Tully's success, that single success, and he had Baby Doll as his ballet and everything like that, was at the very early on, and even before the horse was and then a little after. So if you're a newer fan, and I mean, like, if you're not over 40, <laughs> you might not remember that. Like, that is like, Tully was ironed up for longevity, ultimately kind of outlasted, you know, a lot of these people as far as being, like, the backbone of the four horses. So at the end of the day, woo, I mean, Tony and Iron were like an awesome team, by the way, too. The Brain Busters, I mean, come on. Oh, yeah. huge team. Yeah, so. It's kind of tough really to decide who moves on because, like, I'm a bigger Arn guy. We're bouncing Barry, though, right? I, I feel like we're bouncing Barry and we're keeping Arn. Because yeah, Barry might have had a better career, but like Arn was the enforcer. When he retired, yeah. he gave up his spot. So here's the deal. I'm going to agree with this. Actually, if you take Barry, Iron, and Tully, I don't think Iron had he had a great career, but we're talking A plus, A minus, where Iron was supposed to say A minus, Tully was an A, Barry was an A plus. But if we're talking about who was the man in the four horsemen that wasn't Rick Flair, then Barry's an A minus, Tully's an A, and Iron Anderson is A plus. Because Iron Anderson defines being that enforcer of the four horses. Yeah, and Dave, I mean, you know what that music means, bud. I think we've yeah, made a decision, and Arn is our pick for the top person besides Flair, who was the best What's horseman. What's causing all this? <laughs> What's causing all this? Boom. Guys, we got an awesome interview. You got george south again this week we got rory fox we got big things cooking thanks for joining us and please help us grow this podcast we're out there trying to get bigger interviews we're trying to get more views on our stuff like share rate review wherever you can and big we, things are in the work people we need to <laughs> and we will talk to you next week thank you